This is the Game Day on Rocky Top Podcast. I'm Joel Hollingsworth, and I'm here with Will Shelton. How you doing tonight, Will? I'm doing great. I heard that you guys suspended me for um, selling my shoes, and I was curious as to which pair of New Balance cross trainers that were you know, so highly sought after that everyone wanted. But other than that, I'm doing great. New Balance has this very lucrative $10,000 deal with Tennessee now. <laughs> Right, a $10,000 deal, right? <laughs> yeah. It's funny. They are, uh, I do have some orange and gray New Balance, uh, but they were purchased before the smoky gray came in and out of fashion. So that's, mm. uh, are they even, you're, you're still in the merchandise game. Like, are they, yeah. are they even making smoky gray stuff still? I know that's the big rumor that they, um, that we're not going to wear it in an official capacity anymore. Are they still make it? Because I, I guess people still buy it, right? Yeah, you know, I think they probably will this year. I haven't seen the fall stuff from uh, Coliseum yet, but, uh, you know, that that stuff is uh, ordered and made and designed a long time in advance. So right. they probably are, are you know, upset because they probably uh, uh, made all the gray stuff. They made everybody pre-order it. And now they're not going to wear it at all. But, you know, it's kind of like the black stuff. Uh, even even when uh, the school decided not to ever wear black again, the fans still liked it and still wanted it. So it, I don't see gray going away. Um, it's a nice little color combination, even if the team doesn't wear it. But I wonder how much of that was Fulmer, too, right? Because, you know, it, maybe it's just with football, but is Fulmer or are these other, you know, is he going to have a passionate thing of – softball should not wear smoky gray or is it just going to be football i don't know i've got plenty of it in my closet too so i understand yeah i don't know um you know the first question i was going to ask you is whether or not your rage had subsided after last night's braves game (laughs) well yes uh mostly uh first of all acuna not hurt Um, right you you, uh i don't think you caught brad live when that was happening right because this just uh, it was the most upset I've been about something that happened in baseball in years, years, uh, which is a good sign that the Braves are that good. But I mean, I cannot imagine a worse set of circumstances uh, where you have the pitcher for a 48 and 74 team hits a guy with a five game home run streak just because he doesn't want to get him out or whatever. So, but uh, yeah, Acuna is fine and healthy and, and uh, currently in the lineup uh, tonight. And um you know, they they only suspended the guy six games, which is not a that's uh, not enough to prevent uh, some sort of blowback because the Braves and Marlins play again next week. But uh, well, and pitchers yeah. don't even play every game, right? I mean, they only play yeah, every so, six games anyway. Yeah, so you push back his start a day, and um, so I would not advise him pitching against the Atlanta Braves next week, though, if he values his health. I I would I might. Uh, you know, leave him on the side. So, but yeah, the Braves are, the Braves are up three to two right now on the, on the Rockies. So, um, uh, yes, I am. I, my wife is the biggest St. Louis card. Like her whole family is, they love the Cardinals more than I love the Braves. They love the Cardinals. Like I love the balls. And, um, even she was, was, um, we, we have an Acuna, uh, Jersey for our son because my I wife and I that. went to, uh, we, we lucked into Acuna's home debut earlier this year. And when we were, uh, my son wasn't there cause he was too young to appreciate it. But, um, we, we bought him a little Jersey cause we figured Acuna is, you know, 20 years old and might actually still be with the Braves by the time Covington is old enough to know what's what. So, um, even, even my St. Louis Cardinals wife, uh, put him in the Acuna Jersey today. And, um, 
sending out a little shout out. So that's when you know it's bad is when players on other teams, even American League players that have nothing to do with the Braves or Marlins were like, yeah, that's nonsense. So uh, six yeah. games, there, there will be additional retribution. Yeah, whoever that pitcher is, he made a lot of Braves fans last night because he made me <laughs> want to go watch baseball too. So yeah, uh, I'm looking forward to that. Uh, anyway, we got several things uh, to get to tonight. Um, tonight is actually when we're recording. It'll probably uh, go live in the morning, so just ignore all my references to time or pretend that you're Desmond from Lost and you know figure it out. So uh, the things we'll be talking about, uh, potential trouble maybe brewing with the receiving core, or maybe that's something I just made up. Um, well, I'm going to ask Will about early standouts in uh, fall practice and which ones he's looking uh, most looking forward to seeing this fall. Um, I'm also going to ask about uh, when and how much it might be okay to embrace expectations of a new staff as compared to the uh, prior staff because some uh, players made a couple of interesting comments after practice today. And then if we have time, uh, when is it okay to maybe start feeling okay about uh, the cornerbacks? So that's kind of what I want to get to tonight. Uh, first, though, a public service announcement. Um, if we, we are still uh, cross-posting the podcast feed to um, TalkShoe and SoundCloud, but TalkShoe is going to go away. Um, if you subscribe uh, by iTunes, Everything's going to happen behind the scenes and you don't have to worry. But if for some reason you uh, are very fond of TalkShoe and, and get the uh, podcast through that, uh, eventually you're going to be lonely because we will start <laughs> stop posting over there. You're going to have to make the trek over to SoundCloud unless you're okay with iTunes. Really, the best way is just subscribe to iTunes. Everything will be okay. Google Play will be over there eventually too. Uh, and also while you're at it, do us a favor. Give us a uh, rating. Give us a good one. Give us a review. Give us a good one. Say something nice about Will. You get extra bonus points if you say something nice about Brad because I know that's harder. Uh, <laughs> sorry, Brad. I know he's he probably won't be listening to this until like tomorrow. He's not here to defend himself. So that's right. Yeah, probably right now he's dialing my number. So I'm gonna I'm gonna <laughs> ignore my phone tomorrow. <laughs> but anyway, so let's let's uh, get started. Uh, Okay, so the receiving core. Right? Did, did you hear the podcast from last night? I read the uh, the transcript, which is how I. So I got the robo version of you talking about uh, me selling shoes. But so yes, I, I did not. I didn't have a chance to listen to it, but I did. Uh, I did read the transcript. Okay, so that's about seventy five percent accurate. Right. Uh, right. Yeah. Um, okay, so the main thing is that uh, Juwan is he's been having a little bit of trouble, and we need that guy, right? Um, he he hyperextended something. Um, and he had some drops in, in practice, and he started getting frustrated. So we were, we were talking about that. And then today, apparently, Marquez Callaway has been held out with some sort of minor injury. Now, you expect those things in the fall, right? Um, <clears throat> but um, starting to get just a little bit uh, concerned about the receiving core, especially since I'm hoping I have time to post this in the morning before I got to skedaddle. But uh, the thing I did for the defense last, last week, which was, um, you know, I looked at what I believe to be Pruitt's ideal roster, uh, the numbers that he wants at each position and what he wants those guys to look like in terms of height and weight. And then I compared it to the current roster. And it seemed okay, mostly on defense. And I was a little bit surprised, though, when I've done the offensive one to find that we're low 
on wide receivers uh, of the right size. There are a couple of guys that are just you know a little bit smaller than what you would like. But uh, as far as the, the size and shape of the guys that Pruitt wants, we're a little bit low on numbers, especially uh, if you're uh, having problems with uh, Jennings and Callaway. So am I just being um, paranoid, or do you think there might be a, like a real concern there? Uh, you know, I don't know if, if the concern is, is – I have no idea how real it is, but if it is real – uh, it's very concerning, if that makes sense. Um, it's not just taking away two guys that you feel like are your your most proven playmakers on offense. These guys, Callaway's best stuff came with Quentin Dormandy last year, yeah. and Jennings did not play with Garantano at all. So whoever is the quarterback is trying to establish rhythm with at least Jennings, if not Jennings and Callaway, um, in a way that they have not before. Um, and I think there's statistically anyway, there's a sense that there's a drop off there. Brandon Johnson is not a, not a, an outside number one receiver kind of guy. He's a good option in the slot, or at least he was last year, a good safety valve, but I don't think he, he's going to be someone that steps in and replaces there. And the other thing is we've talked about this in this off season, Tennessee spent so much time under Butch Jones throwing to the running back that I think we all kind of got used to that. The, the, not just, in the years when they had Alvin Kamara, but with Rajon Neal at the very beginning, Tennessee's third option in the passing game, almost the entire time that Butch Jones was at Tennessee was a running back. And Tyson Helton at USC and at Western Kentucky doesn't do that. Not only had, did he have true number three wide receivers, he had true number four wide receivers, which is a concept that we haven't had in Tennessee in, in uh, you know, really a long time. Um, so, there are a lot of guys, if you're talking about even one of Jennings or Callaway being slowed or held out of action, there's there's a there's some bodies in there, but like you say, the the size and shape may not be exactly uh, what the new coaching staff wants. And some of those guys are going to have to catch some balls. Uh, even if you get Dominic Wood Anderson in there, even if they do develop Ty Chandler or somebody else as a running back in the passing game, if if Tyson Helton is calling the sort of game that he has been calling or, or involved with calling for his entire career, they're going to throw to a lot of wide receivers. So you, you know, you, you want those guys out there. I, I have no idea what the level of, you know, seriousness or, or how real any of those things are, but yeah, Tennessee needs those guys uh, and, and needs them to beat a team like West Virginia or to beat a team like Florida. They absolutely need those guys, especially uh, in that, that first game. Yeah. Um, so 247 Sports did this piece uh, yesterday. What well, says 15 hours ago right now? So it's behind the paywall, um, but basically it's just a couple of it's a it's a list of guys that they think have have stood out uh, this fall, and it, it includes most of the people you think. Uh, Alante Taylor, you hear his name a lot. Uh, they included included uh, Daniel Vitulli. There's uh, Dominic uh, Wood. Anderson, Trayvon Flowers, Jordan Murphy, uh, Cedric Tillman is another one. Um, then they also had Tim Jordan and Alexis Johnson on the list. But um, what uh, of those guys, or maybe if there's a, a, a different one, um, who are you most looking forward to seeing sort of for the first time or for the first time in a long time um, this fall? I think the answer would be Elante Taylor if we weren't opening with West Virginia. Um, but that that's 
I'm not. I may still really enjoy seeing Alante Taylor, but yeah. I'm not sure about that. I'm, I may not enjoy seeing him at all, and we may just have to chalk that up to competition. But um, I, I, someone made the point on Twitter today. One of the beat writers made the point that it's significant that they're letting Dominic Wood Anderson talk to the media yeah. today, uh, which shows you that that's it's not just a random off-season pickup that's going to give Tennessee some depth. Now, you know they, they've had. Well, Eli Wolf has been around the program a long time, um, but uh, well, they've also had loving good talk to the media, so it's not necessarily an indication of stardom or or playing time. Maybe that guy might be our best player, though. He, uh, he could be. It, 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 you know, all positions being equal, he could bring the most value uh, to uh, to his position. Also, uh, no, no offense to loving good, I love that dude. Right, right. Um, so, and that's along the lines of what I was saying. They took Eli Wolf to media days, right? So it's not a, it's not a one and done situation there at, at tight end, I think. But I think that's somebody again. When you're talking about looking for something different in the passing game, we've been fooled into thinking Tennessee's going to throw to the tight end plenty of times before. But I think that's just. It seems like we thought when he was signed and still think through fall camp that he gives you a dynamic that Tennessee's other tight ends may not be able to do as well in the passing game. So I think he's the one that could stand out soonest for a positive reason, as opposed to Alante Taylor, who because of the opponent uh, in the season, the opener may stand out for a negative reason. All right. So let me jump to the last question then, which was going to be about the cornerbacks and whether it's okay to start feeling okay about them. Uh, You know, all season long, even going back to signing day when they sort of whiffed on a couple of uh, uh, high-stakes blue-chip recruits at the position, um, cornerback has has sort of been the the doom and gloom story for the offseason. It's like, oh, that's going to be our biggest weakness. Um, We just don't have what we need there. Um, But then, as we talked about, uh, I guess, on our first – uh, 2018 podcast a uh, week ago, um, we started hearing good things about Alante Taylor. We started hearing good things about Bryce Thompson. Um, and the thing is, Pruitt, assuming he's a good coach and can teach his, teach his guys, um, his expertise is at that position. And he's been spending most of his time there. Uh, one of the stories I read the other day was that he would he he tried to spend some time with a different unit, but sort of <laughs> gravity pulled him back to the cornerbacks, you know. And you know maybe it's because West Virginia's coming up. Maybe it's just because that's where he thinks he can do the the best. Maybe that's he gave that to himself because he hired other guys to do the other units or whatever. Um, but you know it could be that they're in in good hands. Uh, and you know again I. Like I said um, last week, um, it takes a while to figure a team out. And so if West Virginia goes into this game knowing, hey, we're a great passing team, these guys are weak at the cornerback and in the secondary generally, um, we're just going to throw. And then they find out that, hey, Alante Taylor can uh, get interceptions. Or Bryce Thompson is not uh, shabby either. Um, I don't know. I've started feeling a little bit better about the cornerbacks. My question to you is, am I crazy? Uh, I don't think it's crazy. I, th- I think crazy would be if we hadn't heard Alante Taylor's name uh, a lot. Because really at this point, uh, that's all you have to go on, right, is is who 
what names am I hearing most often from the guys that are there covering the team every day who don't get to see very much of practice at all, but who have sources and are, are talking to those folks. You, you just kind of, especially now when they're not even releasing scrimmage stats or whatever, you just have to keep listening for what names am I hearing most often. And Taylor has, has been, I think probably other than Garantano, probably I've heard his name, I think the most, would you agree with that? Is, is, is that sound about right? I would, although I'll also say that a couple of years ago, the name we were hearing the most was Khalil McKenzie. Yeah, that's fair. But sometimes you get that right, too. I mean, Derek Barnett, you know, yeah, was yeah. was uh, unblockable and turned out that was true. Um, so <laughs> yeah. uh, so you, I, I guess you get a little bit of both. But um, I, and I'm wary, like with, with some guys, it's the devil, you know, like when I hear, oh, Kongbo is is giving good quotes or whatever. I've believed that before and, and not seen it with him. Whereas with Taylor, I haven't seen him. So why not just assume the best? So no, I don't, I don't think it's crazy. And again, I think there is a possibility here where you go back to, um, that first game, uh, Eric Berry's year, that first game against Cal in 2007, Tennessee got torched defensively in that game, but in part they got torched because those guys are going against Deshaun Jackson and a really good cow offense. And then two weeks later, they went against Tebow. So, you know, as it turned out that particular year, freshman Eric Berry was pretty great. And, they, you know, they, they had some other really young guys that were playing in that secondary, and they were still good enough to win the SEC East. They just didn't look like it when they were playing elite competition uh, the, the first two weeks of the season. They were playing Deshaun Jackson and the Heisman Trophy winner. Um, so... I think it's okay to be excited, and I think it's okay if West Virginia comes out and does what some will predict them to do, which is throw for a whole bunch of yards and score a whole bunch of points. I think it's okay to say, hey, it's it's all downhill from here. You know, he's, he's not going to have to cover. If he is, in fact, Tennessee's number one corner, if they want to play a lot of man-to-man and they put him on David Sills, then, hey, it's, it's, it's probably the best it's going to be. It, definitely the best it'll be all year the hardest it'll be all year when you talk about a quarterback wide receiver combination um so you know I, I yeah i think it's okay to get excited just with the caveat of crazy would be expecting him to shut down west virginia um i, I expecting him to make plays and not get totally embarrassed maybe we'll see but I, yeah i think it's just based on the volume of, of times we've heard his name in particular and the fact that there are there's balen buchanan there's sean schamberger there's some other guys that, um, I, I worry at this point about guys whose names I'm not hearing. Like Marquill Osborne is uh, is one of those guys. Malik Gray is one of those guys where, based on recruiting rankings, you're hopeful. Okay, maybe this new staff can can flip the switch on these guys. But I, I'm not hearing about Marquill Osborne uh, or Malik Gray. So um, you know, it, maybe the recruiting evaluation was wrong or. It's hard to say maybe they're getting beat out by better players when the better players are true freshmen. But, you know, so that that what names are you hearing does cut both ways. But, uh, no, I, I do not think that's crazy uh, as long as we're not expecting Tennessee to come out and shut down West Virginia's passing game. Speaking of the uh, coaching staff flipping the switch, uh, Kongbo talked to the media today. And uh, he, like you, like you said uh, a minute ago, he he's been known for saying stuff <laughs> in the off season and you love it because he's like so confident, you know, but it seems like after a couple of years, he may have been, 
humbled a little bit, and that's probably not a bad thing. Um, but one of the things he said, and I don't have the ex- exact quote right in front of me, but I'll put it in the roundup tomorrow. It was basically that it, it's night and day here between uh, this fall and last fall with the coaching staff. Everything's different. It's, you know, intimating that it's that much better, right? So, you know, we talked about this when we were naming the magazine. What, what is it <laughs> that, that we're excited about with, uh, with the coaching staff and, and maybe for this fall? And, and we're, we're basically pinning our hopes on the fact that these guys, this group of guys, Pruitt at the top all and the rest of his staff, know how to teach football to the talented players that we already have. And we just didn't have that before. And I'm really not that interested in, in, you know, just here are the 15 worst things that Butch Jones ever did. You know, (laughs) I'm not, I want to look forward. Right. But part of, part of the hope for this season is that these guys are going to fix something that just couldn't get fixed last year. And so how much do you think we can really expect or should expect uh, the new group of guys to flip that switch, like you mentioned, uh, and, and take some of our uh, unrealized potential and actually turn it into something that we've been hoping to see for years now? I think on, on some level you have to do it with a case-by-case basis, right? I mean, that whole group of guys – that Butch Jones recruited that were highly sought after, but have not, it has not manifested itself the way we thought it would just yet. That's Drew Richmond, Kongbo, uh, Kyle Phillips. I feel like is already, you know, that guy was great in the spring. I feel like we're already assuming he's going to get there. Um, but Kyle Phillips is certainly one of those guys. And there are others like, I mean, Mark Will Osborne, uh, is, is a big one. Malik Gray is still young enough that, that, you know, there may be something different there. And Garantano, certainly. Right. Uh, the, these are – so there's all those guys. Some of those guys will be better um, with this coaching staff or this position coach. Uh, like Garantano, I mean, it's hard to imagine him not being better with an actual quarterback coach um, and, and an offensive line that doesn't have converted tight ends on it. But, um, <laughs> you know, I, I, I think at, at some point I think – it's, it's comforting to hear – it was comforting to me to hear, even I said that earlier about not having bought into Kongbo before. When we as fans think a certain thing and then you hear the players say a version of that thing, which is, quote-unquote, these are actual football players. Not, quote-unquote, that Kongbo said that, but in general, these are actual football coaches as opposed to yeah. good recruiters and, and cliche men and, and whatever – then it's yeah, it helps validate the idea that okay, yeah, we this this is the right line of thinking about Pruitt and these guys, and yeah, Tennessee can be better. Tennessee can be more. The flip side of that coin is, for all Butch Jones' faults, he had coached a football team for six years before he came here, and Jeremy Pruitt has not done that at all as the head coach. So there's a whole slew of things that Butch Jones just inherently knew how to do when he came here because he'd been a head coach for six years that mm-hmm. Pruitt will be we'll be learning on the fly. So I don't know that those things, I I don't know that those things are going to be the difference between a win and a loss early in the year. Um, But, um, you know, I I think it's, 
that's the that's the narrative that we want to believe in. And there's enough. Both coaches did enough good, Butch in recruiting and and Pruitt with his background, that you know it's it's there's a path for this team to to win you know seven games or or so. I think that's not out of the question. If you do have that switch flipped, and if Tennessee stays healthy, and the talent that Butch brought in here now can kind of manifest and and grow up, um, but I also think I keep going back to Kiffin, where when I hear people making the comparison with Pruitt and these guys to Kiffin and those guys of oh you know these are are actual football coaches and whatever, Kiffin was horrible in in the UCLA game his second time out. I mean, and and he was a head coach in the NFL, and that was a horrendously coached and called game that Tennessee lost to a really bad UCLA team at home. Um, so, you know, they, they got it figured out eventually that year, but they had some early, early bumps in the road. So uh, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm curious to see, uh, but I, I think it's, I think it's good to see the narrative that we have kind of bought into as fans to hear that repeated back to us by players. That's great. Um We'll, you know, we'll need to see it, and, and we'll need to see not West Virginia, but we we need to see Florida, we need to see South Carolina, Missouri, we need to see games that Tennessee has a, a legitimate chance to win, and see how Tennessee performs in those kinds of games. Uh, I think to to see where we're at. But as, as I've written too and said all summer, like Butch Jones taught me that to to like every play matters. Uh, evaluate every play. Think about it. how is this team learning and growing in every play, and that's somewhere I think you can you can kind of begin to see it even in the West Virginia game, I guess. It's a really interesting uh, comparison between if you if you're going to put two things on a scale, you put six years of head coaching experience at Cincinnati against two years as defensive coordinator under Nick Saban at Alabama. Which is which is better? Uh, preparation for a head coaching job at Tennessee because I think there's an argument to be made for either one of those especially when you consider that you know it's not just two years under Nick Saban at at Alabama but also his time at Georgia and his time at Florida State Um, just knowing a system because it seemed like maybe the Butch Jones knew how sort of to uh, you know to, to meet with the media and to talk to the media and stuff um, but maybe he, he'd never been exposed to the practice slash program blueprint that is fully operational in Tuscaloosa, you know. Um, so I don't know. I, I think he he might be just as uh, prepared as, as Butch Jones was to be a head coach at Tennessee. Although the thing that really scares me is that everybody on the staff has moved up one level from where they were. Right, right. <laughs> and if you're talking Peter Principle, um, you know, how many of those guys are not going to be able to, to survive that extra level? I don't know. That's, that's kind of frightening. Um, I hope it doesn't ever end up there, but if things start falling apart, that's the first place I'm going to start looking, and that's probably the first thing you're going to hear me saying. But uh, I hope I don't ever want to say it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I have a couple concerns there. One, my concern for that really isn't even this year because I think, regardless of the of the truth of that statement, that it, you know it's it's Pruitt got the got the big job, and so he went out and gave a lot of other guys the the next job up the ladder. Yeah, uh, I don't worry about that showing up this year. I worry about 
next year and the year after that, if we need better coaches than a bunch of guys that he knew and, and, and it's not the same as Butch bringing the whole staff over from Cincinnati, but you know, he hired guys that he knew it's generally, that's what I would do too. You know, as you hire guys that you know, and guys you think are going to do a good job and help you win. But if it turns out, and I'm just throwing this name out there, I have no reason to think he won't do a great job. But like if two years from now, it turns out that Will Friend is not the answer at, as the offensive line coach, it is like how fast will Pruitt see that? I, I don't think that's going to show up this year. I worry about are these guys, all of them collectively, are they good enough recruiters and coaches to get us to 10 wins? Um, and that is not going to show itself this year. Uh, I, I think the other thing, too, in terms of, you know, what's the better preparation for the Tennessee job? Is it three years at Central Michigan and three years at Cincinnati or, you know, working as a defensive coordinator at Alabama and Georgia and Florida State? Uh, I, my concern, and, and someone made this comment on uh, uh, the 10 questions for 2010, uh, 2018, the last post that I wrote, uh, about that what we'll learn most about Pruitt this year is how he handles adversity. And there's some probably some real truth in that Tennessee almost certainly is going to lose more games this year than he has lost. You know, since he was a player at Alabama. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> it's, it's, we're going back a ways there. Um, and even then, I mean, he played on, he played on mid nineties, Alabama teams, which were on the decline, but not all the way. Uh, Cause I don't think he was on like the 97, 98 Alabama teams. Um, that's uh but anyway you know he's he's gonna lose more than he's lost in a while how does he handle that um here again Derek Dooley save an assistant not not a coordinator uh it's it's interesting uh I read Bill Connolly's Missouri preview and he points out that Derek Dooley has had all of these jobs but he's never been a coordinator like he's been the head coach he's been the head coach at an SEC program he's been a position coach in the NFL but he's never been a coordinator. Like that's that's a that's a weird sort of thing. That is. Uh, but Dooley, when he came here, position coach on Saban staff, head coach experience at a smaller school. But that guy from the first the first time adversity struck against Oregon in the second game, he didn't handle it well. He correctly pointed out that his team folded when things got hard, but then like he never helped them unfold themselves you know uh like he he was perfect at identifying the problem but totally unhelpful at at providing the solution so when we struggle this year or when we get blown out or something like that how is how is Pruitt going to handle that um you know Butch had some experience getting blown out when you coach at Central Michigan you get blown out when you play Michigan State and, and those teams I know he beat one of them once but uh, I think he had experience with that. It's it's just it cost him not having the cultural experience of a Power Five program, and we got fooled. Everybody's question when Butch was hired was, "Can he recruit to Tennessee and turn uh, to the level we need to win?" And turns out the answer was yes. And then we just assumed that uh, that also meant he could develop that same talent, and that answer was no. Um, but I, I, you know, Pruitt won't have the problem of not understanding the expectations or, or not understanding, not thinking that the nine and four champions of life was a, was a good year um, with a team that had a chance to be so much more than that. So uh, I don't, I, I, 
it'll be interesting to see. You know, Pruitt, like anybody else, he's going to do some things well and he's going to do some things not so well. And as we have said about many a coach, especially the ones that have not worked out at Tennessee, which has been all of them the last the last ten years, um, it's it's not even your mistakes. It's do you have the ability to evolve? Um, can you grow? Can you identify flaws in the system and then seek to correct them? Can you identify those flaws when those flaws are your, the assistant coaches that you brought here in the first place? And maybe you need to go in a different direction. Um, and, and, you know, Butch Jones did that when he brought in Shoot. But then can you also understand that when you go in a different direction, it needs to be a good fit? Uh, there's just a lot of there's a lot of learning on the fly. Um, and, and that'll be true for Pruitt just as much as it was for Butch Jones. I just think it'll be in, in very different ways, but Hey, you know, you look at, we, it would do us some good probably to pull the quotes from Kirby smarts first year and to see, you know, the rumblings of this guy's not happy. And is he a good fit here? And he's so different than Rick. And, you know, we gave away a coach that won all these games and turns out Kirby smart was just fine. And, and, you know, knows exactly what he's doing. But that first year and his first time being the head coach, I, I don't know how often it felt that way for those guys in the middle of what I think was a seven and five season. But the thing, too, I know we're jumping all over the place here. Big thing for Kirby Smart, he won that first game. You know, he beat North Carolina in that opener uh, in, uh, I guess, the Georgia Dome in its final season. Um, and that was big. That was big for Georgia fans looking to, looking to believe. When you beat North Carolina in the opener – it helps you deal with losing to Vanderbilt later in the year, so um, you know you gotta you gotta you gotta win some of those those North Carolina type of games. The the games Kiffin won against Georgia and South Carolina, you know Pruitt Pruitt needs to get one of those in there. That that'll help. It certainly will help if Tennessee loses somewhere along the way too. All right. Well, we're out of time, but uh, quickly, do you are you working on something for the for the morning? Yeah, I'm, I, I went back and pulled. Uh, Thanks again to the folks that do Tennessee's media guide. They do a great job every year. Uh, this game against West Virginia, who is ranked 20th in the coaches poll, is the 13th time that Tennessee is uh, playing a ranked non-conference foe in the season opener. Uh, but but more than just looking for uh, the ranked non-conference foes, just trying to get a sense of where do we rate this opener kind of as a tone setter. You know, it doesn't have the, the 10 out of 10 – We've seen some of those games where, like, mm. NC State a couple years ago, where it was like, if Dooley can't win this game, he, you know, he's never going to win here. Um, or, or the Cal game in 2006 where it felt yeah. like we didn't know how the program was going to go. Um, so it's, it's not that. Uh, and I don't even think it's, it's like last year's Georgia Tech game where there's some, some pre-existing anxiety that, that will instantly come into play the first time something goes wrong. Um, but it's also, you know, it's, it's your first impression for a new coach. Uh, so just kind of historically going back over the last couple decades and saying when Tennessee has played these, these kinds of season openers, even a Utah state, I think that's an underrated Butch Jones game. That season opener the second year when they still went with Justin Worley and that was a Sunday night game and Chucky Keaton and all that stuff, Mm. uh, Tennessee played really well in that game, you know, and that, that was a big kind of tone setter at the time i think to to feel like okay this you know things are things are going to go all right here but we didn't i didn't feel that way before kickoff you know i was i was not expecting tennessee to win by 31 or whatever they won by i thought that was going to be a real close game yeah so um 
just just trying to where where do we rank this West Virginia game in the context of all those is uh, something I'm working on for tomorrow. All right, look for that uh, in the morning. Uh, also look for uh, Will on uh, Sports 180 with Josh Ward and Will West tomorrow at uh, 1.30, I think it usually is, right? Yep, yep. 1.30, he's on there every week with them. Always good stuff. And uh, do us a favor and subscribe to the show via iTunes or SoundCloud. Uh, just go to iTunes and uh, search for the Game Day on Rocky Top podcast. If you are feeling particularly charitable, you can leave a rating or a review. We would greatly appreciate it. And that'll do it for tonight's show. For Will Shelton, I'm Joel Hollingsworth, and this has been the Game Day on Rocky Top podcast. Yeah, that, uh, as I said in the podcast last night, that John Ellis, that John Ward. He made it. The- yes. <laughs> There's a made it. in that same game when they stopped when they when we stopped him on fourth and, uh, and goal to one and he just goes no 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 no. Well, do you have anything you want to sing before I uh, stop recording? No, I do not. I'm not sure if my wife is still awake or not. Maybe maybe some other time we can get Alex to do a non-Brad intro. Well, that wouldn't be funny. Though. It wasn't bad. I, Brad, Brad's was better than I thought. It was, uh, he's done some karaoke in his life, I guarantee you. <laughs> <laughs>